wonderful. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you can turn to Habakkuk in chapter 3. As Mike said, this is really the, the culmination of this series where we've been working through the book of Habakkuk. Uh, I just want to start really by almost recapping some of the things we looked at back in week one. This, so this is week four. Uh, it's the final week in this series. I want to just go back to, as I say, to some of the things in week one. Uh, just, it's really helpful for us to keep in mind, really, the, I guess the purpose of why Habakkuk was having this conversation with God, the context of where he's at. So we can, we've been talking about it, haven't we? Like he's gone on this journey. So I just think it's helpful for us to recap some of the things from the beginning. So as we come and look at this final chapter, we can see this journey, kind of this arc that he has been on. But I just, I just feel as well this morning that maybe for, for some of us here today, we're very much in that place of where Habakkuk was, just in terms of that situations we're facing or things that are going on in our lives where we just feel almost desperate or frustrated. Uh, that question in that Habakkuk has of how long, God, is this going to go on or God, when are you going to come and move in this situation? I just get a sense maybe that that's really true for some of us here today. And I just want to say it's my heart, really, that as we see the journey that Habakkuk goes on, that it would really do you good today. To know that if this is the journey that God took Habakkuk on, actually there's a lot in here for us, not just intellectually to take out as an academic exercise, but I really feel that God wants to do something by his spirit in you as well. So I just would really encourage you, however you've come in, whatever state of mind you're in, whatever you're carrying with you today, would just really encourage you to keep your heart open to what God would say today, because I really am trusting that he's going to come and, and, and work in us today. So let's have a quick recap. So I do think it would be helpful for us to just recap a few things. going to kind of go through it a little bit quickly. We did cover it in week one, but I uh, just think it would be helpful to cover some things again. So the first thing for us to understand is is what prophets do. Habakkuk was a prophet. He was a minor prophet, not because he was less important, but just that his, the, the book that we have is smaller than some of the other uh, prophets in the Old Testament. So he was one of the minor prophets. And the, the role of the prophets, or, or what the prophets did, was to call God's people back to him. Really, that was their primary uh, function, was to call God's people back to him, to remind them of the covenant promise of God, that they were God's people, he would be their God and they would be his people. That he would keep them for himself, but then there was also a call to, to obedience, to live the way that God had called them to. Okay, So God would be their God and they would be his people. And what the prophets did was that they brought the, brought the nations and leaders back to this place of obedience. It's this call back, it's like, guys, you, you've slipped away from the life that God has called you to, the way that you're living, this is not the way that God's people should be living. You need to realign yourselves. You need to get yourselves right. You need to repent, come back to God and start living the way that he has called you to. And then oftentimes the prophets would then go and say, actually, these are the consequences of what will happen if you don't listen. This is what God's judgment will look like on you. This is what God will do if you don't respond. So really what the prophets... Uh, the prophet's call is, is, one of the call is to keep walking with God. That's what they're saying. You're God's people. You need to keep walking with him. You need to walk in obedience to God. But the other message that they have is this, is that ultimately God will send a saviour. God will send a saviour because this call to live that way, actually in and of ourselves, we can't do it. 
We can't do it by ourselves. Because our hearts are drawn to things other than God, aren't they? And because we look to worship other things and we give ourselves to other things other than God. And actually we need someone who's going to come and rescue us and take us from that place. And that's what the message of the prophets was. Ultimately, God will send a saviour. And they're pointing, we know now, they're pointing to Jesus. God's son who would come and would save. So Habakkuk was a prophet. And the context in which Habakkuk was speaking into, he was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he was prophesying around 605 BC. Okay, so 605 years before the birth of Jesus. Judah was really in this time of great upheaval. Uh, There had been a nation that had turned back to God under the King Josiah. He was a really good king and he brought the nation back to God. Uh, and, and reinstituted a lot of the things that, 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 that had slipped that they needed to get back to. But now, the leaders, the kings of that time were wicked. They were self-serving. Uh, and where the leaders were like that, that had kind of permeated its way through into the nation. And this nation of Judah, there was now there, there was this, um, this element of, of a righteous group that was still living for God uh, and still really going all out for God. But then you've got this, this wicked people around them who were actually oppressing people in the nation. And they were acting in wicked ways and there was injustice going on. So this was a, a, a nation that was in great danger. And this is what Habakkuk has realised. He realises they're in danger because the nation itself, so Judah, remember this is God's, this is God's people. Actually there was wickedness among God's people. There was injustice, there was oppression. There was exploitation that was going on. This was just not fitting with the way that the people of God were meant to be. And Habakkuk realises that actually we're in real danger here if we carry on the route that we're going down. Because we're going so far off the way that God has called us to be. Actually, is there much that's identifiable about us that would identify us as the people of God? If people were to look in. So there was a danger there within the nation, but there was also a danger from outside the nation. And this was the constant threat of the Babylonians, another nation. The Babylonians, uh, I think Pete touched on this really well in week two, kind of really unpacking who the Babylonians were. And they were just a really terrifying group of people. And they would go around from nation to nation, city to city, and they would just take what they wanted to do. They were brutal. They were ruthless. And so there was this threat to Judah, one that was internal, so what was going on within the people in that nation, but then also the outside threat of the Babylonians. A constant threat at any time they could come in. And now this book of, of, of Habakkuk, it's different really to the other prophets, to the other books of the prophets that we see in the Bible. Whereas many of the other books, it's the prophet is addressing the leaders of the nation or the nation themselves. Habakkuk is different because what we see here isn't Habakkuk addressing the nation, but it's him having a conversation with God. We're having a, a, a glimpse into this conversation that he is having with God. And we, we get to listen in on this. We get to see it's this back and forth that goes on. And as I've mentioned already this morning, and hopefully as we've picked up through this series, this really is a journey for Habakkuk. From his starting place with what he sees and what he feels and what he's asking God to do. And then as this, this kind of this back and forth of this conversation goes on, we see that Habakkuk journeys through and he ends up in, a, we'll see that he ends up in a very different place than when he first started because he'd had this encounter with God. And in the first week, I spoke about it as being, if you remember this, I spoke about he moves from going from a place of protest and ending up in a place of praise. So from protest to praise really is that journey that he goes on. And in week one, we see that he just starts with this frustration, these words, 
pretty much the first words that we hear of Habakkuk, the first thing that he says to God in this conversation is, God, how long? How long are you going to just, are you going to not listen to what I'm saying? How long are you going to turn a blind eye to these things that I'm seeing, to this wickedness and this injustice and this exploitation that we see? Doesn't, he seems really frustrated. Frustrated with the situation he sees, but also there's a bit of frustration coming through with God, or impatience perhaps. How long do we have to wait, God, for you to come and move? He looks around the nation and he sees the state that the nation is in, and he realises that something has to change. And what he asks God to do is actually he asks God to bring judgement on the nation. Not because he wants to see the nation destroyed, but rather he wants to see the nation realise the state that they're in and turn back to him. To realise that they're the people of God, that they need to repent of the way that they're living and to turn away from that and to turn back for that nation to be restored. So he wants God to come and judge. Why? In order for the people to turn back and for that nation to be restored. And then God replies. He says, actually, I have been working. In response to this question, how long? He's like, actually, you haven't seen it, but I have been working. And I need you to look. Look beyond the walls of your city. Look to the nations beyond. He says, actually, what I'm going to be doing, I'm actually raising up the Babylonians. So this group that people would have been living in fear of, arriving, God saying, I'm going to raise this nation up. And they're going to come. And that's going to be my judgment upon you. That is not the answer that Habakkuk wanted. Do you remember we were looking at that in week one? That isn't. Habakkuk is saying, God, I need you to come and, and do something and move. And then God says, actually, I'm going to bring the Babylonians. And Habakkuk is like... They're even worse than we are. They're worse than we are. How could you use them to bring change in us? They're even worse. And he struggles with this. And we've seen that in that back and forth over these few weeks as he tries to come to terms with what God God is saying to him as God reveals his plans. But as Mike was saying last time, we were looking at this, God assures him that he will deal with the Babylonians. He's not going to let them off from what they've done. I think that was Habakkuk's concern, wasn't it? That, but God, you're not going to punish them. He said, actually, I'm going to deal with the Babylonians. They've got a lot that's coming to them. I'm not going to let it slide. And he reassures them that he will deal with them. But he also, then, throughout the last chapter that we were looking at, God just makes these wonderful promises, one of which he's saying that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Yeah, this is going to happen. This situation is going to have to happen, but the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, there's these really, this really, really key verse to the whole of this book and to the whole of this conversation that Habakkuk has with God, where God says this. He says that the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And in some of the commentaries I've been reading, they, a really helpful picture that they use to describe this verse or to explain this verse, they say it's like an hourglass. So with an hourglass, the sand pinches to a point in the middle, doesn't it? And all of the sand has to pass through this point in the middle. And they're saying that this verse is like that. Everything in this conversation leading up to this has to filter through this verse. And then everything in terms of response filters out of it. Does that make sense? So this is the key thing. This is the key point to the letter. This is what God says to Habakkuk. He says this. He says, with everything that is going on, with everything that I'm going to be doing, as I'm responding to your cries, as uh, I, I'm going to, I will bring judgment on the Babylonians. But here's the thing that you need to know, Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. Effectively, this is the response that I need you to make in the midst of what is going on. 
And so he's gone on this journey, like I say, from protest to praise as this conversation continues. And chapter 3 is the culmination of this journey. I've asked Steph if she will come up and, and read. It's quite a few verses. So it would be helpful to have another voice. Uh, so Steph is going to read chapter 3. Do follow in your own Bibles or it will come up on the screens as well. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Yep. Chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shilgonoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendour covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation, you stripped the sheep from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and right. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the heads of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yes, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no blood, no food, sorry. <laughs> the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Thank you. Okay, so there's quite a lot in those verses. Very visual, pictorial language that's used throughout there. And we'll have to work our way through that this morning to really understand uh, what Habakkuk is saying. But my plan for the morning... As per week one when I was speaking, is I want us to see what this final chapter teaches us firstly about the character of God. 
And then secondly, what, what it teaches us about deepening friendship with God. So it's the same structure that I used in week one, but I think that really it's the pattern for the whole of, of the book. What does it teach us about the character of God? What does it teach us about deepening friendship with God? So let's pick up first of all then on the character of God. In verse 2, Habakkuk says this. He says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. What Habakkuk is doing here, he's saying, God, I have heard about you. I've heard about your works. He's looking back over history. He's reflecting on the history of God's people and thinking about all of the things that God has done before. And as he does so, he's asking God to come again. He's saying, God, I've heard about what you've done before. I'm going to reflect on those things. I'm going to think upon those things. And God, because you've done it before, I'm asking you, would you renew it again? Would you come and act in the same way as you have done in the past for God's people? (coughs) Remember, in the early stages of this book, Habakkuk is asking for judgment, isn't he? He's asking for justice to come. That's what he wants to see God doing. But now, as we come to the closing stages, yeah, he's he's asking for God's judgment. He's saying, God, we need you to come and move as you have done before. And he speaks of God's wrath. But this time round, he also speaks of God to balance angry judgment and tender mercy together. He says, in your wrath, remember mercy. God, as you come, I need you to do, we need you to do what you've done before. But as you come, God, will you balance your wrath with mercy? He's saying, I trust you to know how to balance them. Now, Some people, perhaps I know I've heard this, and and particularly if they were to look at the Old Testament, they would see God as as an angry God. Have you heard people talk about God? God just seems angry. Even in the New Testament, people might just seem, actually, I don't really want anything to do with God. He just seems angry. Look at some of the stories through the Old Testament. He just seems angry. Here's the thing. God is an angry God. He does get angry. There are things that anger him. But he's angry with sin. He's angry with injustice. He's angry with exploitation. These are things that a holy God should be angry with. Amen? If he wasn't angry at those things, then what would that say about him? If it didn't stir anger in him, what would it say about him? So this is really the first thing that we need to recognise about the character of God and what Habakkuk is telling us here. Actually, God is a God of wrath. But it's just and it's right and it's appropriate to the things that God looks on and sees. Remember, this is what Habakkuk has been calling for. He's saying, God, actually, we need your judgment to come. We need some of that anger to show against your people because this isn't right. What's going on? So he's been calling for that. But now he's also calling for God to remember mercy. And this combination of wrath and mercy going together, really it's a statement of how God deals with his people. We see it in, where do we see it? We see it in in Numbers, chapter 14, verses 18 to 19. It says that the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. So we've got it there. Again, haven't we, we we've seen that, that there's um, love and mercy, but there's also judgment that has to come because it's right that it does. Nehemiah 9, 31 says, Nevertheless, so again, this is speaking to God's people. It says, Nevertheless, speaking about Israel, sorry, Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. There are many other verses that I could have picked out that say the same thing. This is a statement about how God deals with his people. There is wrath and there is judgment, but there is tender mercy and love and patience that goes along with it. If we look at the word mercy, if we look at it in the Hebrew form, which is the word that Habakkuk was using, it means it signifies a warm love of great depth. There's a real depth and substance to it. It's not just something that's fleeting or just surface level. There's something really deep about this. And then its counterpart in Greek, so if we look at the word uh, for, for mercy in the Greek, the New Testament, it is, it's linked with really with the inner depths of someone's being. It speaks about it almost as, as something that comes from the gut, from the very core of someone. It's the same word that's used when, on many occasions, we're told that Jesus was moved with compassion. It's that same word. It's what Habakkuk's asking God to do. I, just, I think it's just a wonderful thing, which is why I wanted to touch on it. Just that sense of being moved to the innermost core, to the very depth of a person's being. He's saying, God, remember us in mercy as well. Just that thing that moves you to compassion. Because that's the kind of God we serve. That's who God is. He's moved by compassion and mercy to the very core, to the very depth of his being. So we see, first of all, the character of God. This is what Habakkuk now understands that he's a God of wrath, but he's a God of mercy. And Habakkuk is now trusting God to balance the two things together. And then what Habakkuk does, he goes on to look back over the history of God with his people. This is really is the focus of the verses 3 to 15. You see, when I was saying there's lots of this real um, sort of visual language, this pictorial language that's used. It says, as Habakkuk's looking back over the history of God with his people, in particular, he's remembering what God did for the Exodus generation. What I mean by that was that God's people were, were in slavery and captivity in Egypt for 400 years. Then God delivered them, rescued them out of Pharaoh's control. He was with them as they wandered through the desert, protected them from their enemies, kept them safe. Then on to the events at Mount Sinai, and then on into, the, into entry into the Promised Land. So God, having rescued them out of slavery, journeyed with them through everything into being delivered into the Promised Land. And this is what Habakkuk is focusing on in these verses. And I say he uses this visual language because sometimes it's hard to convey in words, isn't it? What we've seen and what we've heard. And in this language that he's using, there's just this sense of fear and awe of God that it's bringing about because this is the response that it should raise with you when you see what God has done for his people. It's, it really is this sense of fear and awe. When God comes and moves, this is what it is like, is what Habakkuk is saying and what Habakkuk is recalling. So through this, he uses the, this real visual language to help us see this, say that just this real sense of God's power and, and, and real sense of awe and fear and God's holiness and righteousness. But through it, he's also alluding back to, to specific dealings of how God was with his people. Let me explain. Let me just touch 
on a few of them. Because actually, if we understand this, it really helps us to, to, to understand what those verses were saying. Deuteronomy 33, verses 1 to 3, says that this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flame and fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hands. So in verse 3 of, of what we're looking at in Habakkuk, when he's talking about... Te- is it? Um, let me make sure I get this right. When he's speaking about... Uh, what God coming from Timan and the Holy One from Mount Paran, what he's doing, he's celebrating what we've just read in Deuteronomy, chapter 33. He's celebrating how God brought Israel out of Egypt to Mount Sinai through hostile territory and into promised land. This is what he's talking about. He's reminding himself of what God has done for his people, of how he rescued them and brought them through. Then in verse 7, he speaks about Cushan, another name for Midian. These were, Israel, these were Israel's enemies. So what Habakkuk is doing when he mentions them, again, he's celebrating how God has defeated Israel's enemies. Then in verse 8, he speaks about um, the seas and the rivers. He's alluding to and celebrating the way that God parted the Red Sea when he brought the nation out of Egypt. And later on, when they crossed into the Promised Land and had to go over the River Jordan, how God parted the seas then. That's what he's talking about in verse 8. You see, when we're first reading through, it's not necessarily the obvious, but we, when we understand it in the context of what God has done for his people, we can see what Habakkuk is touching on here and what he's reminding himself of. Verse 11, he speaks about um, the sun and the moon standing still in their places. He's talking about the victory uh, in, that we read about in Joshua 10, the victory of God's people over the Canaanites, where the sun and moon stopped in, in, in the sky. And God brought victory to the people. Can you see what Habakkuk is doing? He's reminding himself of all of these things that God has done. Verse 13. Where it talks about um, crushing the head of the house of the wicked. Many have suggested that this is a possible allusion to Pharaoh. Again, what God did in, in, crushing, that, in crushing Pharaoh. And, and effectively in bringing the people out of slavery and into freedom. Habakkuk is recalling and reminding himself and celebrating the faithfulness of God through, towards his people in the past. This is what he's saying. When, remember he says, I have heard these things. So I'm going to recall these things. I've heard these things about what you have done before. And because you've done it before, I am trusting you to come and to move again the way that you have done. God is a God of wrath and mercy. We've seen that. But actually through these verses, I think we see another couple of things about God's character as well. The first one is this, is that God's ways are everlasting. We have this statement in the middle of these verses as, as Habakkuk is recalling these things that God has done and the way that God has moved in the past. We see this statement of God's character as Habakkuk is looking at history in verse 6 where he says of God, he says that he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. It's just this statement that comes about God. His ways are everlasting. No mountains, they're a symbol of permanence, aren't they? If we were to talk about something that, that, that is permanent, you would say actually the mountains are a very good symbol of something that is, that is permanent. They're there. They're not going anywhere. But Habakkuk is speaking of them as being disturbed 
by God and being scattered by God. This very image of permanence has been moved by God. Because it's only God who is everlasting. Because God is everlasting in all his ways. Psalm 90 verse 2 says that before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And again, there's a statement that Habakkuk is making. In the midst of everything that's going on, actually, it's only God that is truly everlasting. Mike, last time, spent some time, didn't he, talking about kingdoms and empires rising and falling. If we look at the pattern throughout history, you have empires that rise and then empires collapse. They're all temporary. The situation that Judah was facing and with what God had said about the Babylonians coming Ultimately, that was, a temp- that was going to be a temporary situation. But God is everlasting in all his ways. And God who brought his people out of Egypt and into the promised land was the same God at the time of Habakkuk when Habakkuk was praying to him. And he is the same today. So Habakkuk was sure of who his God was. Habakkuk was able to say, my God, he is everlasting in all of his ways. That was true at the time when God brought the people out of Egypt. It was true at the time of Habakkuk. It is true today. God, his ways are everlasting. Compare that to uh, to temporal situations and circumstances and empires and kingdoms. God is everlasting in all his ways. In a way that even we can't say about the mountains. So God's ways are everlasting and God is faithful to his people. This is what we see as well. Habakkuk makes another statement about God's character. In verse 13, he says, You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. He's saying this, he's saying that the reason God moved, the reason why God came, was to bring salvation, was to bring rescue to his people. That's what moved him so. That's what caused God to move. It was for the rescue of his people, for their salvation. Why? Because God remembers his covenant. That covenant that he would have a people for himself. You will be my people and I will be your God. God remembers that covenant, that promise that he's made and it stirs him to action. He remembers his people and he acts on their behalf. That's good news, amen? Amen. God remembers his people and he acts on their behalf. And really that's what these verses are all about. That's what Habakkuk has just been recalling in those verses from 3 to 15. All of those verses are saying, God is a God who remembers his people And because he remembers his people, he comes and he rescues them and he brings them salvation. God comes and moves in wrath and in mercy to save his people. There is a promise of hope for God's covenant people. Through all stages of history, there is a promise of hope for all God's covenant people. So as Habakkuk meditates on God's work, we see God's character revealed. We see that God is a God of wrath but he's also a God of mercy. We see that his ways and his ways alone are everlasting and we see that he is faithful to his people. So in verses 3 to 15, Habakkuk shares what he has heard and he makes these statements about God's character. He celebrates who he is and he celebrates what he's done. But isn't that so different from where he started? Look where he's got to now because of this encounter with God that he's had. Because of these conversations that he shared. And then in verses 16 to 19, what we see is the culmination, really. It's the culmination of this journey that he's been on from from protest to praise. 
Phil Moore, in his commentary on Habakkuk, I, t- I used this quote in week one. I'm going to just say it again. I think it's really helpful. He says that a relationship with God isn't first and foremost about the things you believe about him, but about the conversations you enjoy with him. That's what we've been called to. Our faith, our walk with God isn't just about the things that we believe, it's about the conversations that we enjoy because it's all about relationship. It's about friendship. It's about growing in that friendship, of that friendship deepening. Remember, this book is a conversation. It's a back and forth between Habakkuk and God. It's honest, isn't it? It's raw. Habakkuk doesn't hold back. And do you know what? That's okay because God can take it. Because God would prefer him to be honest. Because God would prefer him to be raw. Because that's what, really, that's what this relationship is about. This friendship is about. It's about Habakkuk being able to say, God, this is exactly where I'm at. This is how I feel. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I want to see you come and do. And he says it to God and he allows God to respond, doesn't he? And he allows God to reply. And they have this conversation. Doesn't it seem like he's wrestling through this book, it seems to me. He's wrestling with it. He's meditating on, on, on God's replies and he's reflecting on God's replies. But it's like he's wrestling with it. There's something deep going on within him. Actually, God's replies are changing him. Not superficially, but really deep to his core. God is doing something and he celebrates God's work through history and he reminds himself of God's character. He moves from protest where we find him originally and he ends up in this place of praise as his friendship with God deepens. I think that's what's happening here. His friendship with God is deepening and it's because his friendship with God is deepening that it it allows him to move from that place of frustration and protest now to a place of trust and praise. And that's going to be the focus just for the remainder of what, what I want to say this morning, thinking about deepening that friendship with God. Let's read verse 16. So there is a change there from verse 15 into verse 16. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Habakkuk returns to what God has told him about what his plans are for Judah and for Babylon. And again, he's honest. Remember, he's in a place of praise now, isn't he? But look at what he says. Even though I'm in this place of praise, even though where you've brought me to, he's saying, actually, I hear what you're going to do, and my body trembles, my lips quiver, to the extent it feels like rottenness has entered into my bones. There's something that is just destroying me from the inside out. But his response doesn't stop at fear, because something has changed over the course of this conversation. Something has changed. Now, I... Um, had a, an appointment with a physio in the week. I've been having some really achy hips, pelvis, lower back. Uh, I've been referred to the physio, and um, turns out I've got there. There are two things going on really. The first thing is for someone my height. It turns out that your nemesis is gravity. Uh, gravity does not work again. It does not work for you. Sorry, very well when you're as high as me. And also, I've got one leg longer than the other. Okay. So you're all looking now, trying to work out which leg's longer than the other, I can tell. Um, but this is what the physio was able to tell me. And what's happened is, where there are these things working against me, 
uh, actually there's a, um, things have got out of alignment. So I've got areas of hypermobility, areas of low mobility uh, in my back, and also in one side is more mobile than the other because things aren't, aren't in the right alignment. They've got knocked out of alignment. So what we're going to be working on is uh, a program of exercises and things in order to bring things back into line. And as we do that, then the, the discomfort should hopefully stop. But here's the thing. I have a choice in how I respond to what the physio has told me. I can just ignore it, or I can take them at their word and I can put into practice what they tell me to do. In a way, Habakkuk also has a choice to make at this point. He either stays in the condition that he's in, that we find him in at the start, or he takes God at his word and he realigns himself according to God's word and puts things into practice according to what God would say. And he then goes on to make two statements of resolve about what he's going to do in response to this encounter with God. And this is where we come back to, to that verse, chapter 2, verse 4, where God says, the righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk makes two statements of resolve, really, where he's taken hold of that. He's saying, okay, what does it mean for me to live by faith? And this is what Habakkuk says. He says, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. And then in verse 18, he says, and I will rejoice in the Lord. I will quietly wait. This doesn't sound like the Habakkuk of chapter 1. His first words, the first words that we see Habakkuk say is, how long? How long? And now he's saying, I will quietly wait for you to do what you're going to do. What has happened to bring about, bring about this drastic change? The situation hasn't changed. The judgment is still coming. The Babylonians are still coming. Habakkuk is still saying, actually, I hear this, and my body trembles, and my lips quiver, and rottenness has entered my bones, but I'm going to quietly wait for you to do what you're going to do. The situation hasn't changed, but Habakkuk has changed. And he's changed through his encounter with God. He's changed through time spent in conversation with God. And he's moved from this place of how long to I will quietly wait. You see, his response doesn't stop at fear. Surely there is some degree of fear and trepidation as to what that nation are going to face. I'm sure we would be in exactly the same place as he would be if we knew what was coming. But his response doesn't stop at fear. Because he has a friendship with God where he can question him. He has a friendship with God where he knows he can put his faith in him and that he can trust God. Tom Scrivens is a, an elder at Hope Church in Ipswich. And I read something that he wrote this week, which just so timely in what we're looking at. He says that faith is not the tendency to be optimistic about everything. Faith looks beyond the immediacy of a situation and towards the character of God and stands firm or walks forward secure on his promises. Let me read that again. Faith is not the tendency to be optimistic about everything, but faith looks beyond the immediacy of a situation and towards the character of God and stands firm or walks forward secure on his promises. See, Habakkuk is now able to quietly wait because he's relying not on circumstance, he's not relying on the present situation, but he's relying now on the character of God. 
He's relying on the, on the truth that God is a God of wrath and mercy, that God's his ways are everlasting, that he is faithful to his people. Those are the things that he's standing upon now. That is why he's able to say, okay, I'll be able to wait quietly on the Lord, because he knows who God is, because he's standing on the character of God, not on the circumstances or the situation that they're facing. So he's, he's standing now on the character of God, but he's also translating into the present day what he knows from God, knows about God from history. Okay, so he's translating into the present day what he knows about God from history. He trusts that the God who rescued and kept his people through the Exodus generation will also deliver Judah. Saying, God, you've done it before. You've done it through history. I know you've done it. So I'm going to trust that you're going to do it again for us. He's still dreading what's to come. To be honest, I don't blame him. I can completely understand why he's dreading what's to come. But he trusts God. A couple of points I want to make is that, firstly, it requires strength to wait quietly for something when we have God's promise, but no date. God has spoken, but doesn't give us a date when it's happened. It's hard. It takes strength to wait quietly. I just want to acknowledge that and to recognise that. It would have taken strength for Habakkuk to be able to wait quietly. The other thing I want to say is this. It comes out of Fillmore's commentary. He says that it is easy to trust God when we understand what he's doing. But the prophet accepts that faith means living with a large dose of mystery. How many of you can relate to that? It's easy to trust God when we understand what he's doing. But the prophet accepts that faith means living with a large dose of mystery. Which is why he looks to the character of God and he looks to how God has worked in the past. This is why when Mike shared an answer to prayer just before he, he did the notices, that's why that does us good. Doesn't it stir faith in you when you hear things? Like, doesn't it encourage you? Doesn't it help you to put your trust in God when you hear what God has been doing and what God has done? This is why we need to share stories with one another. This is why I love it. When people, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week, are just sharing stories with one another about what God has been doing. It's important that we do. It's just as Habakkuk was reflecting and meditating on the work of God through history. We, yet we reflect on it. Uh, and actually, I'm gonna, there's lots of scriptures that I'm picking up on this morning. Because it's good that we get into the word that tells us about who God is and what God has done. But we also need to share what God is doing today. Because it builds faith. And it helps us to put our trust in him, particularly in times where we can't see what he's doing. So Habakkuk says, I will quietly wait. And he also says, I will rejoice. Habakkuk says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no, no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there'll be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Again, it can be easy to trust God in the midst of peace and prosperity and plenty. It can be easy to give thanks and praise for the good things that we have. But what about in the midst of nothing? What about when those things, or it seems like everything good has been stripped away? It's not so easy then. 
So what Habakkuk is saying in verse 17, he's saying actually when sources of food, when sources of wealth, when sources of security have failed or been removed, Habakkuk says, still I will rejoice. How? How will he rejoice? This is important for us to understand and to take hold of. He's able to rejoice because he's not rejoicing in the quantity or quality of the blessings that God gives, but in God himself. He's rejoicing in God himself. His joy is in God. Remember, the God who never changes. The God whose ways are everlasting. That's where his joy is. In the face of the impending arrival of the Babylonians. Or in the face of where it seems like personal well-being or even survival itself is at risk. Habakkuk is able to say, I will rejoice. Hasn't God done something in this man? His joy is not in circumstances or in plenty or prosperity, but in God. It comes down to this simple truth. Well, yeah. God is enough for him. That's what he's realised. God is enough for him. Food may be taken. Wealth may be taken. Freedom, even his life, may be taken. But there is one thing that he will never lose. And that is God. And that is what he has realised. He says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He says, God is my strength. In the situation he's in, he can still call God mine. Isn't that wonderful? I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God is my strength. I am his and he is mine. His relationship or, or relationship with God is not based on emotion or passing whim, but upon the foundation of God's covenant promise of a relationship with his people. It's something that will never be stripped, and this is true for us also. John 10, verse 28 to 29. I read from verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. He says that my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Then in Romans 8, 38-39, says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can strip us away from God or will separate us from Him. Everything else that we have, everything we have in terms of material things can be taken at any time, can't they? Just by their nature, they can, they can go. And I think perhaps this is why a lot of people are struggling in this nation at this time with the amount of uncertainty because the things that they've built their lives upon are now looking shaky. They're realising those things can be taken away. But what about those promises that we've just read? Jesus himself said, no one will be able to take them from me. David Pryor says of this, I will joy in the God of my salvation. He is my saviour. He has saved me from the repercussions of my sin and disobedience. I belong to him and he belongs to me. We belong together. Nothing can tear us apart or keep us apart 
His salvation is not simply available to all, but it is precious to me. Whether in material terms I have much or little, everything or nothing, he is my God and I am his child. In that I will rejoice. I am coming into to close now. You see, in conversing with God, Habakkuk has moved from protest to praise. The situation hasn't changed, but he has. He is now secure in God's character. He is secure in God's works. He is secure in knowing he is God's and God is his. He is secure in all circumstances. And we have been listening in on a conversation here, but we haven't just been eavesdropping in on a private conversation between Habakkuk and God. Because the book ends with a really beautiful instruction. He says, for the choir master with stringed instruments. Because chapter 3 is a song. This is Habakkuk's worship. This is Habakkuk's praise. And this isn't just a private moment for him, just a song between him and God. This isn't just a personal time for him to praise and worship. He's saying, actually... This needs to go to the choir master. You need to put it to some music. Because this is a song that needs to be passed on. This is a song that needs to be shared. This is a song for people to to praise God with in community together. This is a song for everyone who wants a deep friendship with God. In whatever season we're in, whatever we are facing, however long we've been waiting for God to fulfill his promises... We need to sing along with Habakkuk.